0: Well good morning, Movement church. How are y'all doing? Good Happy New Year. It's about the one time I get to say this every year. I haven't seen y'all. How long has it been? Has it been since last year? How is your wife? How are your kids? You know, I feel like you know, I'm sorry, I thought I was really funny, so whatever, <laughs> we should just pray and just you know, I'm a head up. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm super excited to be able to share with you guys this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andy Marti, and if you haven't caught on, I have a stutter, and I'm also an introvert, which means that God has an awesome sense of humor for ever putting me on a platform with eight cameras and about 32 lights. (laughs) But with that being said, I'm still really excited to be able to share with you this morning, and if you're used to hearing me teach, you're probably expecting a pop quiz, something like this, probably with some random, obscure theological question, you know, just to break the high ice and not be sure. But we're not going to do any pop quizzes. You know, I don't think you guys are ready for it, but your kids are going to love it. And um, usually the other thing that can be guaranteed is something like a picture of a dog, like talking about dogs or why I love dogs and using dogs as a way to, you know, break the ice. Um, thank you, Babylon B. You are a gift no one asked for. <laughs> um, but instead, I thought that we could start this morning with a story. And uh, I had the privilege of being able to hear my father preach a lot when I was a kid and he used to love to tell uh, this story and I changed it up so that it makes a little bit more sense uh, to us, unless I'd have to be speaking to you in Spanish the whole time. And um, I figured that we would start with a story. So the story goes like this. Once upon a time, as all stories start, there was a couple from Pennsylvania. They were what we would call northerners. Hey, a lot of y'all were northerners, myself included, so whatever. But they were northerners. (laughs) And they got tired of being snowed in in Pennsylvania. And they heard about a magical magical faraway land called Florida. And And they're in this great state of Florida. They kept hearing things like, the parks are great. If you move to Florida, the parks will be cheaper a little informed, but you know. They said the beaches are great. They have palm trees. And they also said the weather is gorgeous sometimes. The weather's not always gorgeous. Sometimes it actually kind of looks like this if we're really real about it, right? I mean, who else has lived through this? But they had already moved down. They weren't used to it yet, so they weren't super sure. But they heard that the weather was great. Well, it turns out that the weather was actually a point of contention for them because what they would do is that they never knew if it was going to rain or if it was going to be hot or if it was going to be cold or anything like that. And so they would obsessively check things like the weather channel and the weather app and their app on their smartphone. And it's because they hadn't discovered yet our resident weather prophet, Jim Cantori, who's always right, but all the other ones didn't seem to it didn't do it for them. It would say 60% chance of rain, and then it wouldn't rain. Or then they'd see it said 10% chance of rain, and they thought, this is a great time to go to the beach. So then they'd go to the beach in the afternoon, unbeknownst to them that in July and in August, it always rains like Armageddon in the afternoon for about 10 minutes. And so then they got rained like no other in the afternoon, and they had one thing going for them. And it's that they were sociable people, and so they got to meet what we can call their friendly neighborhood Florida man. And so their friendly neighborhood Florida man, which for our case, we'll call him Bob. Bob starts to listen to the story, and the couple's telling them about how hard it is to predict the weather around here, and Bob gets a brilliant idea. You see, one thing that I didn't mention about Bob is that Bob is from Arcadia, and so he's filled with brilliant and brilliant ideas, and so then he comes to their house and comes up with something like this. He said, hey, I want to set this thing up for you. You're going to know exactly how it works. I even wrote down some instructions, and uh, I want you to start using this so that you know what's going on around here. And they looked at him a little confused, and he said, don't worry, this is what I call the Milestone Weather Forecasting Stone, also known as a weather rock. How many of y'all have heard of a weather rock? It's a wonderful invention, finely tuned instrument, might I add. And so he begins to read the instructions. It says this, now when the rock is wet, it's raining. And if the rock is swinging, the wind is blowing. If the rock casts a shadow, the sun is shining. If the rock does not cast a shadow and is not wet, now the sky is actually cloudy. If the rock is difficult to see, it's foggy. Now, if the rock is bouncing there's an earthquake, okay? And if the rock is underwater, congratulations, you live in a flood zone, there is a flood. And if the rock is warm, it is sunny. Now if the rock is missing, there's a tornado. And if the rock is wet and swinging violently, you have earned your first notch on your Florida badge. That is a hurricane. And if the rock can be felt but not seen, it's nighttime. Lastly, if the rock has white splats on it, watch out for birds. And this is your finely tuned instrument, the milestone weather forecasting stone, also known as a weather rock. But what the northerners began to learn during their usage of the weather rock to inform them of what was going on is that even when the meteorologists would say 60% chance of rain or anything like that, they got into the habit of saying, we gotta go check the rock. they'd look at the rock, and even though it says 60% chance of rain, it's not actually raining. So they'd say, I guess it's sunny out. And then they'd say, there's a massive downpour coming, and they'd come, and then they'd see that there was actually no rain. So they got used to the habit of saying, we have to check the rock, check the rock. We have to go and check the rock. Hey, is it hot outside? I don't know. Let me go check the rock. Now, I want you to not miss this. What ended up happening after use and experiencing it and uh, Bob's clairvoyance, um, they began to have a deep conviction that the weather rock was exactly what it said it was. A rock that would tell you what the weather was unlike the weather channel and the weather apps and the meteorologists. And they had gotten into that rhythm of checking the rock and checking And through their experience and hearing, they grew to have faith in the rock and stopped fearing the weather. I love this story because it's really a story of how faith works in the Christian life. And we'll be revisiting it again, but this does lead us to our topic of today, which is faith and fear. We're going to be discussing faith and fear, some lessons we can learn about it by looking at Scripture and what it means to us today. So the first thing that I want us to make sure that we do is that we come up with some definitions to define what faith and fear are. Now, when I'm trying to define something, I am a simple person, so I just, I want to be able to say it in my own words, but we can still extrapolate a pretty good definition by opening our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. I want to encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, it's towards the very end of your Bible, we'll also have the, the verses up here so you can follow along. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, it says this, now faith... Is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What does this mean? In my own words, this means that faith is not just a knowledge of God, but an unshakable confidence that God is who he says he is. Faith is having that unshakable confidence. It's not just the knowing, but it's the confidence that God is who he says he is. In our Weather Rock story, the Florida man knew that the rock was what it said it was and told the northerners what it was as well. But it wasn't until the northerners grew to have their own unshakable confidence by checking the rock and checking the rock and checking the rock and seeing time and time again that the rock was always right, then they finally stopped listening to other sources and grew to rely on that unshakable confidence that comes from checking the rock. And so likewise, we can come up with a similar definition for fear by working backwards. And I'm defining fear as just lacking that confidence that God is who he says he is. Fear is lacking that confidence that God is who he says he is. And there's a parable that we can see all of this happening. It's called the parable of talents. I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25, And we'll be reading verses 14 to 18. We'll actually go through the whole parable, but we're going to be breaking it up in chunks. And a little bit of context here. As I said, it's called the parable of talents. But your Bible might call it as the parable of bags of gold or bags of coin or something like that. And uh, I just want to tell you, a talent in this case is not like... Paton twirling, or interpretive dance, or anything like that—a talent in this case is actually an amount. It's like a sum of money, similar to when we say a ton is two thousand pounds, um, and uh, you know, miles, five thousand two hundred eighty feet. Uh, Scholars have debated how much a talent is. They'll say, you know, it's a thousand dollars or three thousand or twenty thousand. Some say it's about twenty years worth of a worker's wage. Because I'm a simple man, I'm gonna just define a talent as a lot of money. Okay, a talent is a lot of money. So, this is the parable of a lot of money. So, let's change and let's read through Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 18. It says this. For it will be like a man, now this is Jesus talking to his disciples, telling the story. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. So there's three servants all receiving a different amount. To each according to his ability, let's hold on to that for a little bit. And we're going to be stopping right there in the story a little bit. So the first lesson that we can learn from these servants is this. That faith looks beyond the risk. Faith looks beyond the risk. Let me see if I can break this to town. There isn't really a lot of indication of the previous conversations that they could have had or anything like that, but we do get one indication, and it's in this section of scripture. It says, to one, he gave five talents, to another, two, and to another, one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. So I'm a visual person. And so I just imagine a master asking his three servants to line up, and we know that a talent is a lot of money, so maybe he's handing bags of gold to each one or some sort of currency, and he passes it on to the three of them, and he says, I'm heading out, I want you to steward this, I'll be coming back, and I'm giving this to you according to your abilities, and then he leaves. Now, let's not talk about the third servant just yet. Let's talk about the first two. I I can imagine the first two kind of looking at each other and saying, what are we even supposed to do? It turns out that there's really only two things that we can say for a fact that they knew according to what's happening in the story, and it's this, that number one, they know the master, and the master knows them. How do we know that the master knows them? Well, because he entrusted them According to their abilities. How could you ever gauge someone's ability perfectly in this case without actually knowing the servant? And likewise, the servants worked alongside the master this whole time. They're co-laborers, they're co-workers. And so in the same way that maybe you might know a boss or co-workers or something like that, there was definitely a, a relationship or maybe even an invitation to relationship. But these are the two things that we know for a fact, that they know the master and the master knows them. So let's put ourselves in the servant's shoes. You might be thinking, I've never invested before, I'll lose all of the money. Or maybe you might think, I have invested before and I have lost a lot of money, maybe I shouldn't be actually doing this. Or maybe you're thinking, is there a better use of this? Is he going to be upset if I invest it and the return isn't that high? I'm concerned, there's so much risk to take, but wait, I remember, the master entrusted me this, according to my abilities. And that means that because I have unshakable confidence that the master is who he says he is, I am willing to look beyond the risk and have faith that the master knows me, he knows what he's doing, I will do my best. That is what the first two servants are saying. The second lesson that we get is that faith requires action even in uncertainty. So we know that faith looks beyond the risk, and we know that faith requires action, even in uncertainty. How do we know that faith requires action, even in uncertainty? Because even though they could see the risks, even though they had uncertainty, they chose to invest. They followed through. There were risks, but they followed through, and it turns out that they were able to multiply what the master had given them initially. Let me see if I can make this pretty clear. Gentlemen, how many of you, maybe you have uh, your wife or maybe you're a son and your mom says, hey, can you go to the grocery store for me? And then you are a really good man, and so you say, of course, sweetheart, I would love to go to the grocery store for you. What do you want me to get? And then she hands you a list, right? Is it, raise your hand if this has ever happened to you, please. This is not just me. Okay, I'm seeing it. It's very much so, pretty much all of us. And then you are a competent man on top of that. And so you know, you know, I've been sent in the grocery store. I work full time. You know, I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy around, but I think I could go to the grocery store and get a couple of things. I've actually been to the grocery store quite a number of times. I'll let you know. <laughs> and uh, you have a list. And so you park your car. You're walking in through the double doors. You pull the cart, and then I, I'm not saying this happens to you. I'll just say for me, sometimes. I just get a haze. Like if I've never been in a grocery store before, I'm lost, I'm confused, I'm looking for something to be grounded in. I pull out the crumpled piece of paper called a list and I stretch it out and I see it and the first item says ham. And you're like, okay, I can do ham. I know hams in the back by the deli. And, and you're a man and you know you need to pass through the cookie aisle. So you grab some Oreos, even though they weren't actually on the list. But you know, you know, in case of fire, grab Oreos. And so then you get the Oreos and you make your way to the back of the telly. And then you look at all of the ham and you say, why are there 20 hams? And then you go back to your list and it just says ham. It doesn't say boar's head, black forest ham or, or you know, sugar ham or cured ham or Taylor ham instead of pork roll, just in case. And um, you forget, because sometimes we get this haze, that you're actually the only ham eater and your wife was being kind to you and just reminding you, just pick whatever ham, it's, it's yours. You're the only one who eats it, ham eater. <laughs> And so then you, you grab a piece of ham and, and you say, you know, I hope that that's right. And then you look at your next thing. It says cheese. Raise your hand. Try to show with feet and hands and feet and anything that you can account, your neighbor's hands, how many cheeses exist. <laughs> Thank you. I'm seeing more hands and yet not enough all at once. So with that being said, What is Pecorino Romano? And how do we make so many cheeses out of the same things? And so you go back to your list and it just says cheese. You start reading. You see American. You see Swiss. You see provolone. You see cheddar. Oh, you like cheddar. Cheddar comes in types of cheddar, cheddar comes shredded or slices, well they probably taste the same, what is mild or sharp? Is cheddar supposed to be spicy? And then all of a sudden, you remember that you're a Christian and that you ought to pray because you have no idea what you're doing. And so you just close your eyes and you pray, Lord, what kind of cheese am I supposed to grab? And God, unfortunately, does not answer that prayer. And then you keep looking around and you start to get scared because you're thinking, should I call my wife? She'll think that I didn't listen to her. Uh, What am I supposed to do? And your ego is swelling. You're like, I can figure this out. It's just cheese. I can do this. And then you close your eyes again because you remember that the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if I can just pray again. And then all of a sudden, like manna from heaven, you remember a conversation with your spouse that she wanted to have burgers over the weekend. And so now you know that at least it's not shredded. And now you have slices and you're thinking, well, the traditional burgers with American cheese, but I know a lot of people like cheddar, myself included. But you know, if you do uh, some mushrooms, then maybe Swiss might be good. And then the final light bulb clicks. You remembered that Pastor Andy said that faith requires action, even in uncertainty, and the only wrong choice is to come home with no cheese. And so you grab the American and the cheddar and the Swiss, and you come to your wife and say, Sweetheart, I didn't know what you wanted. I just wanted to make sure that you had the whole world. Here's the cheese. This is pretty much what we see in this story. You have men who need to act even in the face of uncertainty because their master has called them to. And you see men that are trying their best to look beyond the risk. Well, let's see what happens in the story. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, and don't miss this, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over what? A little. I will set you over much Reminder, a talent's a lot of money. So he just told the guy with five talents that he's been faithful for a little. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much Enter into the joy of your master. So what are we learning here about faith? This is what we're learning about faith. We're learning that what mattered was their faithfulness, not the result. What mattered was their faithfulness, not the result. The master cared that they would look beyond the uncertainty, that they would look beyond the risk and say, I have an unshakable confidence on the rock of ages, and I will be obedient, because he entrusted this to me according to my abilities, according to how he knows me, he has entrusted me to do this. How do we know that the result didn't matter? Because even to the one with 10 talents, he said, You have been faithful with little. Now, oh my goodness, I really needed those extra five talents. Thank you so much. It turns out that the master has storehouses and storehouses and storehouses of abundance. It had nothing to do with the talents, it had everything to do with being faithful and obedient to his word. Not. Th- a result. And that's the type of faith that looks beyond the risk. And that's the type of faith that takes action even in uncertainty. We can continue the story to start to t- talk about the third servant in this case. It says this The servant who had received the one talent came forward saying, Pastor, Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a hard word. So what can we learn from this exchange? Well, what what we can learn is that Fear distorts truth. Fear distorts truth. Let's listen again to what the servant says. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I mean, do you see that these are fighting words? I knew you to be a hard man, Reaping where you did not sow is essentially saying, I'm the one who's scattering the seed and you're the one who's profiting out of it and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Now, at face value, the servant may look like they have a point. But let me see if I can bring some clarity from the master's perspective. And this is a little dangerous. I don't like putting myself in the master's shoes. Um, But I could imagine it could sound something like this. So you're telling me that because of who you think I am, you are going to blame me for you not doing what I, the master, told you to do, servant. And you are willing to accuse me calling me a hard man when you literally just saw me to your other two say, and I quote myself, enter into my joy, well done, good and faithful servant, and I even let them keep not the, only the original talents they gave them, but what they were able to come up with, and I'm the hard man? Don't you think... Don't you think that I factored in the possibility of failure when I handed this to you according to your ability? Do you forget that I know you? Don't you think that I factored in your workload, your responsibilities, your gifts? I have storehouses filled with talents. It wasn't about the talent. It was about being faithful. And instead, you accuse me And ignore the fact that you were afraid. And that has distorted the truth of me. Friends, remember what faith is. We define faith as that unshakable confidence that God is who he says he is. And fear distorts that truth. And that's what we can see in this passage. He was afraid. He feared the risk. He feared the disappointment and the shame and the consequences more than he trusted the love of the Father. In this case, the love of his master. So church, may you rise and grow in confidence and faith. May the big things that cloud our minds or distort the reality, may you just grow into the habit of checking the rock. May you not be defined by what's around, but instead be defined by what the rock says. (laughs) You know, instead of being concerned about being tossed to and fro by the waves of doctrine, check the rock, read the word. I just want to encourage you the church can grow to have an unshakable confidence. Because when we grow in that and we truly embody that we believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do and that he will fulfill what he has promised, who shall we fear? No one. Instead, the servant feared the risk and the disappointment. Don't settle for a fear-based faith that distorts the truth of God. So we talked that faith looks beyond the risk. We mentioned that faith requires action even in uncertainty, that fear distorts truth. And the last one is that fear is wicked. Fear is wicked. What do I mean by that? Well, let's listen to the master's response But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten... For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is the same master who says, Enter into my joy. The only difference there was the servant. Right. That is the difference between faithfulness and obedience. And disobedience. There's no mincing of words. The servant, that same servant that he just said that to, that servant, when he got handed that talent, the master invited him to enter into his joy. There was an invitation. Be faithful with little, and I will give you much. The servant could have had even more given to him but his fear distorted the truth of the master. And so he was called wicked, slothful, lazy, passive, complacent, evil, wicked. And I want to take a moment to clarify what I mean by fear, because I know that, you know, sometimes... There's some things that come up in life that maybe they have you double checking your work that might give you cause for concern or some nervousness. I think that all of those things are natural. But the difference is that when those things that give you concern are placed above the unshakable confidence that God is who He says He is, that's when fear starts to distort the truth, and fear is wicked. We have to have a heavenly perspective, that it is God above all things. And all of those things that you are concerned about, they are as if nothing to him. He's got storehouses filled with talents in abundance. It's not about that result, which he knows of already, by the way. It's about submitting yourself to the will of the master trusting that he has invited you to know him and that he already knows you. It's to check the rock of ages for the truth and not outside sources. So what does this mean to us today? I believe that the master has entrusted us with something according to our ability. And I believe that the master knows us and invites us to know him. And I believe that he did so as an invitation to act with faith, take risk, and be allowed to enter into his joy. And um, moment of transparency, this passage is really hard for me. And this is a passage that... um, your staff has been wrestling with this past year as well. Um, There's a lot to be said in this passage. But we want to invite you to wrestle with us. Wrestle and co-labor alongside us as we seek the will of God throughout this year and moving forward. So there's a couple of action steps that we can take And these are both questions that you can ask, some things that you can do. These are similar questions that the staff is asking as well. The first one is, do my actions demonstrate confidence that God is who he says he is? What does that mean? In your living, in your going, in your daily, are your actions informed by your understanding or by the understanding that God is who he says he is? Second, how have I tried to justify my fears? And man, is that easy to do, to justify fear, to explain it away. I have found out um, in my personal life that whenever I'm in that cycle, I need to almost hear myself try to articulate those words because then it starts to sound all kinds of different out loud. I recommend that you try it. (laughs) How have I tried to justify my fears? And do I believe that there is room for fear in my life? Because some of us might not say that, but some of us definitely might be living and thinking that. Third, how can I be faithful with what I've been given? How can I be faithful with what I've been given? God has given to each of us something according to our ability. What are you doing with it? And fourth, What faith-filled risk is God calling me to right now? What faith-filled risk is God calling me to right now? Folks, there is a time when the master is coming. And that is a day of joy. But in that day, you will hear Enter into my joy, or you will hear, you wicked and slothful servant. May you grow to have an unshakable confidence that God is who he says he is. And may that allow you to look past the risk and look past the finite, temporal, mundane aspects of this life and act even in uncertainty. Let's pray.